Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing It in Real Estate. This week we have Bo Kim. Bo is a buy and hold investor located in Southern California and has been working in accounting as an accountant for the past six years. Bo's got his start in real estate by investing, got his start into real estate investing by house hacking his, his primary residence in Orange County and then since picked up 61 units across, across, the, Midwest, across the Midwest markets such as in uh, Kansas City, Indiana, and Little Rock using various uh, methods such as seller financing, bearer strategy, HELOC, delayed financing, and private lending. Bo is also the host of the Bigger Cashflow Podcast, which aims to help newbie real estate investors take control of their finances. He's also an avid writer on his blog and share tips on how to achieve freedom from time, location, and money. Bo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. That was quite the introduction. Awesome. Thanks to you, man. You sent me a pre-introduction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bo, can you kind of walk us through your entire, uh, like, I know we mentioned a little bit, you got your start to, you know, house hacking your primary residence. So we'll kind of skip into your first deal. Like, how'd you get started into your first deal in the Midwest? 61 units is absolutely impressive. Oh, like, thank how, you. What was the time frame like and what was the first deal like? Yeah, so I think, so I bought my primary residence in Orange County back in April of 2017. Mm -hmm. And after I bought that, I rented one of the rooms out and realized that I wanted passive income. And having a tenant um, allowed me to reduce my overall expenses, uh, one of which being um, my mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. So after that was, um, that kind of like lit a light bulb in my head. I started researching online and naturally fell into bigger pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, and in bigger pockets, I introduced myself and I started networking with a bunch of people. Then I went to network events. And a common thing that I heard from a lot of Orange County or California investors was that they invest in the Midwest. And mm-hmm. at this point, I wouldn't even know where to tell you to put Kansas City on a map. I didn't know where Kansas City <laughs> or Indianapolis, I didn't know where any of these places existed. Mm. Well, you know, me being the accountant, I like to do my due diligence and research. I'm very risk adverse by nature. So I started to look at all of these markets, look at the demographics, the population growth, the job growth, the mm-hmm. economics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really landed on those three markets that I really liked, Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Little Rock. Mm-hmm. And then I started looking for turnkey companies because I knew that I didn't know how to manage a rehab Um, And I wasn't going to build a team right off the bat to go find distressed properties and do the rehab myself. That was too much risk for me. Mm -hmm. So turnkey at the time sound perfect for me because I'm going to continue to work hard on my W2 job, move up the corporate ladder, and then all the while use some of those savings to build my real estate empire. So Mm -hmm. I started looking for turnkey companies. I found about 10 Um, And then I started calling them up. What's really nice about working with people in the Midwest is that you can wake up here at 6 a.m. and they've already started their day. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really impact your day-to-day here. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you got people saying, hey, it's going to impact my W-2 job here. Well, if you're investing in the Midwest, you can wake up earlier and then get all your morning business done and then go to work. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed all of those people. I found a couple that I really drived with and I put a property under contract. And this is probably within two months of starting my research. Mm -hmm. So I started my research back in about um, August, September timeframe of 2017. Mm -hmm. And then I put my first property under contract in November. Oh, wow. Congratulations. You moved out fast. That's yeah, I mean, it's when looking back, I think that was the best thing that I did was not to get stuck in analysis paralysis because mm-hmm. knowing myself, I am that uh, like the blue personality. Um, I took that personality test and blue means like you like to get all the details before you make a decision mm-hmm. and you like to analyze everything. So knowing myself, I knew that I had to take quick action or else I'm just going to overthink it and not take action. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think, I think you made some really, really good points, you know. And the first thing is, like, always do your due diligence. Like, don't just listen to your buddy. Don't just listen to your friend. Don't just listen to any podcast. Make sure you have all the facts laid out in front of you. Otherwise, how, how are you going to supposed to make the most informative decision? So, yeah. props to that. Another thing is that, you know, you mentioned you're super, you're very self-aware of who you are, you know. You know, for a fact that if you don't make a decision within a short amount of time, you're going to be in analysis paralysis and you won't get to where you, where you need to get. So really great self-awareness. And the last thing is, I know most beginners will kind of just skip the turnkey stage and get, go straight to like a rehab. And I think for you, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a really inspiring, inspiring case to hear that, you know, you went to Turkey, Turkey property first to understand how, how anything works, you know, because you know for a fact that there's, there's a lot of risk when you do your first rehab. Um, I wish we were friends a couple of years ago, so I could listen <laughs> to you, but I was one of those guys who was like, oh, man, I'd probably get more equity if I, uh, if I just rehab it myself. <laughs> it is tempting. It is very tempting. Yeah. It is, it is. But major pops to that, and you, you took your time. You, 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 you interview a bunch of companies. You've really vibe with them, and you went with a turnkey property that kind of helped you get help get you started. So for this first property, uh, obviously about a turnkey property. Was there any kind of mistakes or lessons learned from this first property that you're like, wow, like maybe I shouldn't do turnkey anymore. Maybe maybe now I should kind of push myself to do more projects from like. You know, like bird strategy, try to try different strategies. There must be a reason why you pivot to different strategies. Yeah, great question. And there is a second part to the story, right? So <laughs> it wasn't all, you know, butterflies and rainbows after I put that property under contract. Um, looking back, there was definitely a lot of lessons learned. This property, the first turnkey one, is actually the one that I lost the most money on. Oh, wow. uh, believe it or not, uh, regardless of all the burrs, the other types of strategies that I've implemented, it's this mm-hmm. turnkey one that I lost the most money. And, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of lessons learned. Number one being you buy the property once and the property manager really helps dictate whether that property is going to cash flow and make money for you. And that is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned was the buying experience with this turnkey company. Um, it wasn't, you know, a slam dunk out of the park, uh, 10 out of 10 experience, but it was a solid, you know, seven or eight. 
um, everything was smooth. Uh, what they advertised in terms of the location and the underwriting process with the rents. Mm. However, when it moved into the property management side, that's when things started to fall apart. Oh wow! So they had everything in house and. I realized that property managers, because I flew out there, I really tried to do my due diligence. It wasn't just me trying to drive this ship from 2,000 miles away. Bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, It wasn't me trying to just drive this ship from 2,000 miles away. I actually flew out there. Um, I spent the money. I stayed in the same area that my property was going to be in, in an Airbnb. And I really tried to do my homework. And I met with them. I bought them lunch and say, hey, how is this property management side going to work? What's the communication going to be like? And basically they told me all the things that I wanted to hear. And it was all theoretical at that point, which I realize now. So um, that's one thing to take with a grain of salt is that, you know, they can say that they're going to do X, Y, and Z, but you really have to verify it. Meaning when they placed one of my first tenants, they said, we're going to look at three times rents, Um, We're going to make sure that they don't have a bankruptcy within the past uh, seven years, no evictions in the prior two years. Actually, all three of those rules were broken, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And yeah, they placed a really um, professional tenant who knew the system and knew that uh, they were going to be able to get away with a couple months uh, free rent. And either the landlord is going to try to evict him or they're just not going to bother trying to go with the process. And obviously for me, this was my first property. So after month four, and the timing was really weird too. There was a 90 day warranty on the rents and the maintenance. And on the fourth month is when the maintenance orders and uh, the no rent started to come in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, the, the timing was a little sketch with the property management company, I, I have to say. But basically from month four to eight until when I finally evicted the guy, mm-hmm. um, I lost four months worth of rent, which was a couple thousand dollars. And then um, there was a lot of maintenance orders. So he started damaging the property. At the end, there was about $5,000 worth of work that I needed to do to get it back rent ready on a turnkey property, oh, wow. nonetheless, within eight months. And then um, to hit the you know final stroke is that he came back kicked the door down and took all my appliances. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was out about probably about $11,000, right? So if I am a California investor trying to net $200 a month per door in cash flow in the Midwest, mm-hmm. imagine how many years of positive cash flow without any hiccups there yeah. needs to be for me to recoup that $11,000, mm-hmm. right? So this is the second part to that story. So not everything is just uh, butterflies and rainbows, but... Mm-hmm. You do have to make sure that this is the long-term game. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm doing really well in my portfolio now that I have shifted my strategy. I've gone a little bit smarter um, mm-hmm. through these battle scars. But yeah, my first turnkey property, it didn't uh, work out the way that I really intended it to. Wow, that's that's an amazing story. And wow, I can't believe you're still in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I mean, the other part to that is by the time that I started to deal with the eviction, so month four, I went pretty fast. I, I don't know if this is you know fast actually, but so right after I bought my uh, first turnkey, I was so excited about real estate. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to continue to do it. And my wife and I were pretty good savers. We probably save at least 40% or more of our income. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're 
pretty, um, you know, we don't live above our means. So we saved all this money and we bought our second and third turnkey consecutively. Mm -hmm. So by the time month four hit, so this was about like March or April. This is about April because I closed in January. Mm -hmm. I already had three turnkeys. And the second and third was in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And those were with like the best property manager that I have to this day. They're my favorite property managers and they're just crushing it for me. And I'm so blessed to have met them on my second try was mm-hmm. that when started to, with, when things started to fall apart in Kansas City, I was already having such a good experience in Indianapolis. I knew that this was it for me. Mm-hmm. So if that wasn't working out or maybe I haven't bought any properties and I just had the one in Kansas City and I had to deal with an eviction and $11,000 in repairs and whatever it may be, mm-hmm. I probably would have given up to be honest with you. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's crazy. The importance of diversifying your portfolio. You know? Yeah. And different markets will behave differently. So you have to be well aware of how each market works. Yeah. Um, but I can relate to you. Like I'm also sort of a big saver. And then for me, I think about like, man, like $11,000, like how many months did it take me to save that? You know, yeah. that hurts. It and does. For most people that would kind of create this short sightedness where they're like, Oh wow, I'm losing so much money. Maybe real estate is not for me, you know? But even at your early stages, you saw that, Hey, real estate's a long-term game and that, you know, you're going you're gonna to go to different cycles where you learn really tough lessons. But overall, if you come out of every situation thinking positive, posit- positively and take out the lessons learned, you're going to be able to accelerate faster. And that's exactly what you did, you know. Only three years ago that you owned three turnkey properties, but today you own 61. That's, that's really remarkable. So let's continue the story. So after you got um, your first three turnkey units, like how, tell us how you got to 61 units. I think a lot of listeners want to know. Yeah. And, and let me just uh, paint the picture for the audience as well. Um, you know, I didn't give a detailed background about myself, but, you know, I'm, I don't have a rich uncle who gave me, you know, a million dollars to start in real estate mm-hmm. uh, by any means. You know, my parents, uh, both Korean American, we immigrated from Korea when I was 10 years old. So we, we always struggled financially, right? But it, my dad taught me work ethic and grit and how to grind. So um, that's why I was able to save a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I bought those first three turnkeys, it was probably using all of the savings that my wife and I had. So oh. we did take a lot of risk. So, you know, bless my wife. You know, she stuck with me when even when I lost, you know, $11,000, that was a very interesting uh, Friday night conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like fast forward to today, what I realized was one of my favorite quotes um, is a guy that I really respect, Will Smith. And mm-hmm. he says, when you go set out to build something, uh, like build a great wall, you don't go out there and just start, you know, stacking stones and you build the wall. It's like you go out there every day, uh, put one brick as neatly and as perfectly as you can. You mm-hmm. come the next day, you lay another brick. And over uh, a long period of time with consistent action, you yeah. will have built something great. Yeah. And that I saw that on Instagram and that really resonated with me mm-hmm. because 
you know, it, when I first started, I would have never in a million years imagined that I would have grown my portfolio uh, to where it is now. Mm-hmm. And also, that's not really important to me. Like the number of doors really isn't important to me. Mm-hmm. What's really important, honestly, is the cash flow. I could have one property, and if its cash flow is the same as the sixty-one, you and I both know that we'll take that one, right? That will cash flow less more. headache, less yeah. trouble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't need sixty-one of you know anything if I can get the same result and optimize that one. Mm-hmm. However, I'm really blessed to get to where I'm at now with the help of you know other partners. I have you know debt or equity partners that I have teamed up with uh, mm-hmm. for a common goal, right? So you know. To be transparent, not all 61, I don't own 100% of that. Probably more like half of that I own. And the other half, um, it's a mix of two other partners, right? Yeah. But to my point, um, what happened was after I got those turnkey properties, Mm -hmm. then I started to uh, look at different strategies because I ran out of money. I used all my savings in purchasing those properties. And when you buy it with a down payment, then there isn't really much uh, other ways for you to get that equity back until you either refinance or sell it. Mm-hmm. So I learned about the birth strategy on bigger pockets. And for your listeners who may not know, it's the buy, uh, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat strategy. So I found a distressed property from that broker in Indianapolis Mm -hmm. um, that manages my two turnkey properties. So he does it all. He's a broker. He does property management. He does rehabs only for a select few investors. Um, So for me, I just relied on him to show me the ropes and find me those properties. Mm -hmm. So I did a couple burrs with him. And it's funny how a lot of people might be thinking, hey, I don't have money. I can't do these deals. Mm -hmm. But it's actually the other way. There's a lot of people with money out there, but they just can't find the deals or they want to park their money with somebody that they trust and Mm -hmm. get more than a 2% return on like a CD or a savings account. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I continue to build my network and my relationships with people and the fundamental idea for me is that I want to just help people. Mm-hmm. And kind of like you're helping so many people through real estate or with on, right? Congrats mm-hmm. on that. Um, it was the same thing with me, um, whether it be on bigger pockets or whatever, I just shared my story. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then naturally people came to me and asked me, okay, how did you research that market? How mm-hmm. did you find Kansas city? And just by sharing tips and tricks, we built a relationship, a legit relationship mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And they would just tell me, I wouldn't even be asking they'll be like, Hey, Bo, Um, You know, I have $30,000 saved up. If you need money for your next deal, just let me know. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I never thought about using private money because it really scared me. Mm -hmm. I'm okay losing my own money, but I'm not okay losing my aunt or uncle or somebody that uh, I know is money because I couldn't be able to sleep at night. So, But that really lit the light bulb where if I'm really creating value, if I'm buying a property for $50,000, $60,000, putting $20,000 worth of work in it, and it appraises for you know, 120 to 150, then really there's a lot of value being created and I can you know, give that return to my private lender as well. Mm-hmm. So that gave me the confidence to do my first uh, debt partnership. So I borrowed uh, like $38,000, I believe. Mm-hmm. I bought a property and I also put in my own money, like $25,000 of my own money. And then I did a burr. And then a couple months later, I paid that person back. 
Mm-hmm. And it was off to the races from there because I really found a system that works where I can find properties, create mm-hmm. the value, pay them back, and I still cash flow after that. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, really, really good points that you brought up. It's you know, it's not one size fit all. Mm-hmm. Like most people come into real estate thinking that you know they have to be good at one thing, but sometimes the first thing you choose, you're not good at it yet. And it's not until you make mistakes and you, until you find out more strategies that you realize that there's different alternatives out there for you to leverage. Yep. And you're hungry enough to go out there and continue learning. But most people kind of stop the ed- education. That's, that's the biggest way you fail, you know? You have to keep on learning in this field. There's so much to learn every single day. Yep. And other things that, I, that you mentioned is the compound effect, you know? Doing a little every day and improving 1% every day. You're going to get to where you want to get in a remarkable fast time if you continue to have that mindset that you're going, be, you're going to get better every single day, which kind of leads you to the path to, hey, you're, you're enjoying the journey. You know, you're enjoying everything about it. Most people think real estate is like a fast game to get wealthy, you know, but it's not. It takes a lot of the diligence, a lot of effort, a lot of work every single day to get yourself from here to here that most people aren't willing to put themselves through that kind of that kind of effort. Yeah. And also, like, a biggest thing that you mentioned is always seek to help people. People can see that intention, that uh, uh, you are there to help them. And when they see how, you know, how authentic you are and how good you are, they're naturally more gravitated towards you to work with you and to trust you. Um, and then... You know, what you realize is that a lot of people, you're right, a lot of people have a lot of money that all you have to do sometimes put yourself out there and just ask for it, you know? It's crazy how crazy how that works. Like, and you realize, shoot, you think to yourself, if you're in that position, you had money, you, didn't, you did not have to work for making more money, you'll probably do the same thing. Yeah. So logically, it works that way. So there eliminates a lot of the fear. Yeah, you know, involved. Um, so major props to you doing all these things. You know, a lot of good nuggets along the way. I can see why you're so successful already. Congratulations. Thank you. And, you know, I'm still learning, just like you said. And this journey is what really excites me um, to wake up every day and work on my, you know, side hustle. I love my yeah. W2 job, but this is, mm-hmm. you know, equally, if not more exciting um, to work on the nights and weekends to build something that's truly mine, right? Yeah. And I just do want to uh, add to something that you said about helping other people is that, you know, when you, oh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank. What was I going to (laughs) say? It's okay. We can just pivot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it'll it'll come back to me later. But um, I'll try. Yeah. But anyway, um, after I started doing the Burr method, um, I started using other strategies. And I do have to give a quick shout out to um, Matt Terrio. He also has a podcast called the Epic Real Estate Podcast. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who reach out to me say, okay, how do I find mentors? How do I learn from other people? And I just say there's so much information out there. You don't need a formal mentor. You don't need to pay somebody five, ten, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 like Rich Dad Education to mm-hmm. learn real estate. Um, you can listen to Brian podcast you can listen to Matt Terrio and these guys give good information and I listen to it all the way uh, you know back and forth from work Mm -hmm. and one of the quotes that he says is 
go as far as you can see. And once you get there, you'll be able to see further. Mm. Right. You can't wait for all the lights to turn green and then start driving because you're never going to get there. It's never always going to turn everything green for you. Mm -hmm. Go as far as you can see. And then you go further. And that has been like the cornerstone of my strategy mm-hmm. is that for me out of the gates, not like, hey, I'm going to buy like 100 units or I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, hey, I'm going to stack those chips up one by one. And then by the time I get to that, I know how to get to the next stoplight. Mm-hmm. For example, um, I did a couple of seller finance strategies. I even uh, wholesaled uh, two deals. And I wasn't trying to be a wholesaler or I wasn't trying to um, get seller financing. Mm-hmm. But because I was able to take steps one through six, I knew that by the time I got to seven, I knew what questions to ask the seller because mm-hmm. I was just thinking, I have a hammer. I need to find a nail. And yeah. my only strategy is the burst strategy. I'm going to use debt financing. And that's not what motivated the seller. He was like, hey, I still want to hold on to some cash flow. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, I went to a conference where they really talked in depth about the seller finance strategy mm-hmm. and how to present like three or four different type of offers for them to choose one of them. Mm-hmm. And I did exactly what they told me to do. And I got two deals about $40,000 below market. And these are two duplexes in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And these are excellent cash flowing deals. Oh, wow. So that's just another example of how you can't, I probably wouldn't even know to do that right off the gate. So mm-hmm. you have to do some other things like steps one through six before you can even ask that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that with your listeners. I absolutely agree with that one. You know, the more knowledge you get, the more you can pivot. And yeah. once you create a strong foundation in real estate, it's easy to like find different strategy that works for you. Yeah, no, for sure. Every situation requires a different strategy. You know, just because you know seller financing now doesn't mean, doesn't mean your next three deals is going to be seller financing, you know? Mm-hmm. So having more tools and toolbox is the best way to become a successful real estate investor, especially you know, over the course of your real estate career, you're going to see the market change a lot. You know, you're going to see cycles. And some strategies will work in a, in a very bull, bullish cycle and some will work in a bearish cycle. Like you have to find out different strategies that work well for different types of situations and time period. Um, so that's great. So what are, what are some of your long-term goals and short-term goals in real estate? Yeah, for me, um, it's continuing to build up that cash flow. So, um, and this is just another good reminder and in times like these, how cash flow is much more important, at least for me personally, other people might view it differently, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, you really can't eat equity. You can't go buy toilet paper with equity. You can't go buy food (laughs) with equity. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's equity is only what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Yeah. My, my strategy, um, from day one has always been create cash flow. And um, what's kind of different for me, at least, is that I'm not itching to get out of my job. I have a good job. My wife has a good job. We're Mm -hmm. relatively young. Uh, We just Mm -hmm. entered our 30s. And Mm -hmm. we want to create cash flow where we don't have to work if we don't have to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking about starting a family now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if my wife really wants to stay home with our kids, I want to be able to easily help her make that decision. Mm-hmm. and you know travel and things like that or help other people as well so my short-term goal you know within the next five years is to continuously build up that cash flow mm-hmm. and then you know long term um, I also want to help other people get into real estate mm-hmm. so like 
for me, it's when I first began, I went to these meetups. And to be honest, there was really maybe one Asian American out of the whole group and not a lot of people that I um, resonated with growing up. Right. So I really want to be able to give back and show them those opportunities because a lot of people in my circle um, don't know about real estate and don't talk, uh, talk about legacy wealth building. Right. A lot of the people, at least personally, um, are really focused on their education and career, which is all great. And mm -hmm. I can see why it's because we're first and second generation Americans. So mm -hmm. we don't really have a strong footing in America. So we're really trying to establish, you know, our family here first, which is important. Mm -hmm. But I think also we need to share the good word, whether it be real estate or even small businesses or anything related to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, just sharing those opportunities if people are interested that it's not all cookie cutter. It's not all about go to the UC system and get a good uh, job and just work for 40 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that is my goal. So one of the things that I wrote down as my, um, I, I write down my goals every year in January mm -hmm. is that help three people uh, buy their first rental property. Mm -hmm. And um, whether it be, you know, people reaching out to me through the bigger cash flow podcast or Instagram or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you reach out to me and DM me, um, I'll respond. And, you know, any questions that you guys might have as a newbie, uh, I'll reach out and kind of help you um, if I've been through that path and if it's something that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man. I really love the give first mentality. You know, you're going to go a long way with that mentality. You know, awesome. Oh, thank you. The more, the more people you help, the more you get help in return. It's just how life works, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think that's what, what I was actually trying to uh, mention earlier is, um, <laughs> is that, you know, when, when you help other people, you, mm -hmm. you don't really realize it at the time, but later on, there are definitely connections that are made, right? Zig Ziglar said it best, you know, help, uh, if you want to get, uh, to get what you want, help others what they get, uh, mm. what they want first. Mm. And it might seem foreign to you at first, but it's like, hey, other people reach out to you. You give them tools and uh, tips and tricks. Mm. Like Indianapolis, um, there's a lot of uh, California investors. I I'll be honest, it's very saturated in Indianapolis. Mm. So a lot of people that I encountered in the beginning, they didn't want to share their vendors. They didn't want to share their contractors, their property managers and all that. But for me, you know, and I'll give them a shout out here too, FS Houses. They've been my rock, my uh, mm. property managers in Indianapolis. And I share the good word because they're really legit because I was so badly burned in Kansas City. I want people to work with a good property manager um, in Indianapolis. So I share them. And in turn, what happens is that they grow they're able to add more people to their staff and become more of a you know, bigger business that can support their uh, clients. Mm -hmm. And then in turn, my business grows, right? So it's a good natural cycle instead of, hey, if I give them some business, it's gonna take away the attention from my portfolio. So mm -hmm. I, I just wanna keep them to myself, right? So I think it's that abundance mentality that's really going to help investors grow over the long term. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the abundance mentality, you know? Yeah. I think the any yeah any kind of successful people I had in the podcast that's always talked about the abundance mindset and just even running like you know, HN and having forty four thousand people I see the abundance yeah. mindset in these people I'm like wow you guys are super successful you know what people have to realize 
is that there's so much money and resources out there that we can really all succeed together. There's no yeah. reason to withhold kind of in, any type of information or be selfish in any way. You know, we, we can all really succeed. So let's help each other succeed. Yeah. I, I like that mentality a lot. We have a lot of similarities too. I, I feel, uh, yeah, one, one of my goals is to help a lot of my friends get started into real estate investing. Uh, that was probably earlier in my career. And nowadays is like, all right, I know for a fact that some people aren't meant for real estate investing because they're just text and call you all the single time. Like, okay, <laughs> uh, how about this? How about I make you a lot of money and you just let me, or just let me borrow your money and I'll make you a good amount of returns. There's different ways of working different people. Yeah. You know? But a couple of things that I want to warn the listeners is that, you know, you really have to pick the right partners to really enter into these long-term buy and hold deals. I want to say that when you buy a buy and hold deal with one of your friends, it's almost like getting married with them, you know, and there's no end in sight. <laughs> so when you do your operating agreements, you really have to be clear on what the terms are, what the buyout terms are, uh, how the project will get dissolved in the future. If there is a any sort of disagreement and arguments, you may not think that you're going to have any arguments or your great friends or your good buddies right now, but when situation gets really stressful and when there's money, a lot of money involved without having proper guidelines to deal with this, you're going to be in deep trouble, deep trouble yep. a lot, you know? So I just want to keep that in mind for our, our buy and hold listeners who are looking to partner up with other people. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to lightly touch on it, I have two main partners on across my portfolio and as much as, you know, deal vetting is important, yeah. part, partner vetting is much more important. You know, one of the guys that um, I'm partnering up with is actually my coworker from uh, my prior CPA job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I worked with the guy only two and a half years, but he's like a brother to me. And we've, we feel like we jive t- together so well. And, you know, we would go on client projects, audit engagements together, and we'll just talk about life and, you know, our response to anything in general and that clicked before we even talked anything about real estate or partnerships. Mm-hmm. And why I realized that's so important is I see some of the other partnerships that are falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because their goals um, and their vision isn't really aligned, right? So mm-hmm. maybe they have money to invest right now, but their overall behavior with money and their approach to money um, yeah. doesn't align with you. So when things don't go right, maybe it's a two-year, three-year repositioning apartment kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things might change. Who who could have imagined the coronavirus, right? Yeah. And you're, you're set to refinance now and the banks are getting shaky and you yeah. can't refinance for another six months. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a partner that is out of money and needs money ASAP, that really is kind of different with your goals. Maybe you are thinking about putting more money back into the business, right? Mm -hmm. So things like that, I think is really important for you to partner up because I have to say a lot of Facebook forums or bigger pockets, one of the easy solutions that people throw out there when people say they don't have money is like just, hey, just partner up with somebody who has money, go 50-50 on everything. Yeah, it always worked that way. (laughs) Yeah, I I would, honestly, I would, nine nine out of 10, I would rather use a debt partner or even hard money before I bring on an equity partner just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's another Pandora's box, right, Brian? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, from my own personal experience, yeah, it's a uh, partnerships aren't as easy as, they, as you think as you think they are. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree. Definitely. I know we touched a li- 
touch on this a little bit earlier, but what is your biggest why? Like, what do you, you mentioned that you want to help people get in the cash flow and you want to start a family, have passive income. Well, what, what's the reason why like you do the things you do and get into real estate? Yeah. Um, I would honestly say my biggest why is my faith and, you know, being a Christian, one of the things, um, in the Bible that says is, uh, you want to be a good steward, right? So it talks about, there's a parable about the talents. And I actually spoke about this before on my podcast is that, you know, they, Jesus gives, you know, the servants like one talent or two talent and five talents. And there are servants who either bury the talent, the one they thought they couldn't do anything with it. Um, or the person with the two talents and the five talent, they worked hard and they doubled the talents for their master. Mm-hmm. And the biggest lesson learned for me was everybody has a talent. It's not zero talent. It's like, it might be one. Another person might be blessed with two or five, but mm-hmm. everybody has something that they can work with. Mm-hmm. And what you do with it, being a good steward, not being lazy or anything like that. I know everybody's life situation is different, but you have to make do with what you've got with the cards that you've dealt is my personal um, belief. So I know that when I immigrated here at the age of 10 with my parents, my parents gave me the best opportunity that they can give in their current situation. They didn't, you know, they thought, hey, if we go to America, life was kind of rough in the beginning because as as any immigrants could be, but they set me up for the right future. And I'm so blessed. And I want to make sure that I seize that opportunity and work hard so I can, you know, pay back my parents, um, you know, a healthy retirement life. So mm-hmm. that is my biggest why. And also, I truly believe that I have opportunities that other people don't. Like, I may not have the five talents, but I may have two and other people just have one. Um, so I want to make sure that I double this or triple this as much as I can and share mm-hmm. it with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. But that's my biggest why. Okay. I love it, man. That's that's one of the most unique whys I heard in a while. So I <laughs> that, you know, gives you a new perspective and things. So thank you. Yeah. So what kind of um, inspiration do you draw from? Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or any other any other mediums that you draw inspiration from? Um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I think my favorite one is um, Ed Milet's podcast as well mm-hmm. as Andy Frisilla. So they both aren't real estate podcast, but mm-hmm. those two guys, they are the heads of the RTA syndicate as well as the podcast of, uh, it's called MF CEO, but he recently changed it, uh, to the real society or something, mm-hmm. but man, he just really keeps it real. Those are two guys who just really went from the bottom, um, mm-hmm. and just building their business, uh, brick by brick, so to mm-hmm. say. And, you know, they're not, they're guys who really keep it real. So if you listen to their podcast, it keeps you grounded. It's just like whenever I feel like I'm in a rut with my real estate business or there's mm-hmm. times, I'm sure you feel it too, Brian, is that I'm overwhelmed. I have so much work, like my mm-hmm. W2 job, you know, I, I want to make sure, you know, my wife uh, feels the love, like, because you have to water the plants and the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Just because I'm working on my W2 job and my real estate business, mm-hmm. I can't just ignore my friends and family. So all of those take time and just juggling those three. Sometimes I want to curl up in a ball. I'm like, Oh man, like, what am I doing? If if I just focused on a W2 job, Mm -hmm. I would just get that next promotion. And I'll just like not have to worry about a ton of things. 
Mm-hmm. But then I listen to Andy and Ed Milet's podcast and I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it helps me get back on track. Yeah. And then I feel re-energized again. So whenever you feel burned out, I highly recommend that you listen to those podcasts. Uh, I love it, man. I mean, I, I totally can relate to you. Always feeling overwhelmed every single day. Yeah. Having no distinction of like what day it is because <laughs> all the meetings goes really late, you know? Yeah. But sometimes you come to a realization that you're making the most out of your life. Mm-hmm. You're making the most out of what you're given and your potential. And when you really take a bigger step back, you realize that you are in a very blessed position. Yeah. And I want to remind everyone that anyone can get to this position. It's all a mindset. Yep. You know, you're not limited by your circumstances. Well, sometimes you are. You're not limited by your really limited by your circumstances. You're limited by your imagination, your creativity. Like just by listening to different uh, podcasts and inspirational mediums, you find different ways of breaking through. Yep. You know, you're never quite stuck. You're only stuck because you don't know enough. If you learn more, you're, ne- you're never, ever stuck. You're unstoppable, you know? And Brian, if I may just add, you know, I, I want your listeners not to focus on, you know, whether if they're following a small business, not the amount of locations that they have or a real estate investor, how many flips they've done or how many rental units they have. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. Um, the real focus is retracing their steps and mm-hmm. kind of following through action by action, like Brian mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, the compound effect, right? Mm-hmm. So if if you want to get to a certain goal, you know, find somebody that you really resonate with, uh, whether it's Brian or Andy or Joe or whoever it might be in your life, and then you know, really retrace their steps of success and just follow after. You don't have to recreate the wheel if mm-hmm. that is a path that you want to go down, right? Yeah. You kind of learn from them first. You master the steps. And then you make it your own. You add your own spices later. You don't do that from the get-go is my mm-hmm. two cents. Yeah, I definitely agree with that statement too. You know, success leaves a lot of clues. Everyone has to start somewhere. You know, yep. you retrace a lot of these people that you admire, they started somewhere. And that somewhere is very relatable to kind of where, where anyone starts. You know, no one's an expert from day one. It takes time to build the expertise, build the confidence and... You know, as you're learning more, you kind of pivot into your own style, your own personality that people are like, wow, that's totally Bo. That's totally Brian. You know, that's their style. You know, it's amazing how life works that way. But yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the final question is, how can our audience find out more about you, Bo? Yeah, you can uh, reach, a, uh, reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram. The handle is Bigger Cash Flow. Or you can go to my website at www.biggercashflow.com. Uh, like Brian mentioned in the beginning, I also have a podcast called the Bigger Cash Flow Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say that four times. But um, yeah, if you guys want to check out what I'm doing in the Midwest, uh, please subscribe and listen. Awesome. Thank you both for being on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Sounds like fun. <laughs>